This is episode six of the As You Were Saying podcast, where we'll be talking about cold brewing and awkward hugs. Then we'll have a talk covering some amazing creatures and both their mythical and non-mythical properties. And now here's the show. So, so do I, you? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. No. 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 After you, as yeah, you were no, saying. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, me. Okay. You had well, a question. No. No. Uh, well, actually, I just. Well, hello, Aaron. Hello, Gordon. So I'm drinking something today, finally. Yay! You've uh, you finally met my expectations. Well, I've been working at that for a long time. It's, I'm, it's not easy to do. No, no, clearly not. What are you drinking? Oh, you're gonna make me wait, huh? Okay. Um, well, I'm just drinking my regular old cold brew. Well, it's a fresh cold brew, but it's something I drink often. Uh, cold brew coffee, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Cold brew coffee. It is not alcoholic. Are there cold brew alcoholic beverages? Yes, there are. Okay. You can, I think you can cold brew a lot of different things. I thought you were going to say you can cold brew anything. And then I was going to ask you about the scope of your quantifier. I would not say that. (laughs) You don't like it when I say quantifier? No, no. I would not say that you could cold brew anything. (laughs) Oh, Oh, I see. Yeah, I don't think so either. Like you can't cold brew a chicken. Well, maybe you could. I don't know. I don't think I don't think you could. Does it have to have liquids in order to cold brew it? This this is this discussion's getting out of hand. <laughs> it is. I I'm gonna put my foot down. This is not that kind of podcast. <laughs> okay. So it's kinda like the uh Meet the Parents where he says that you could milk anything with nipples. <laughs> <laughs> I have like a vague memory of that. Yeah, yeah that's that was an awkward movie. Yeah, it was, that was very painful. Yeah, it was very uncomfortable in a lot of ways, but pretty funny too. Oh, it was. Ben Stiller is awesome. Yeah. So tell me, what are you drinking? Well, I am drinking... Actually, I have two drinks. I have water, st- some still water because mm-hmm. I'm trying to stay hydrated. I've had a cold and yeah. am recovering. Um, and so I, I have to, I don't know, drink a lot of water to help with that process. And then I'm drinking something called kefir, I think. Is how you pronounce it? Kefir. Tell me about it. Well, it's supposed to be one of these like newfangled, healthy drink things for your tummy. It's a probiotic. Okay. Um, but best I can tell. I mean, maybe it's fantastic for you. I have no idea. But it, I, I am unconvinced that it's actually very healthy for you. I think it's just a, a milk, sh- basically like a sort of milkshake e drink that masquerades as a health product hmm. so it's so not, it's like it's no uh, kombucha replacement <laughs> well uh yeah no i don't think so i i'm a little skeptical of that too but yeah. i know some people really like it um health trends are interesting um have you heard of the putting butter it's like you, you put like a block of butter into your coffee yeah the bullet coffee yeah that is weird it is. Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, some people swear by it, so I don't know. Yeah, they do. But it's sort of, okay, so it's sort of like, okay, so p- let me gather my thoughts here. I'm getting a little too excited. It's bulletproof you, coffee, right? That's what it's called. Ah, that sounds right. Yeah, um, anyway. So yeah, people do swear by this and they, they have all kinds of things to say about how, um, oh, it helps them, it wakes them up and, oh, they're so much more sharp with their, you know, butter and their coffee. And I I looked into this a little bit and couldn't find any substantiating uh, studies. 
Um, what I did find was that there are qualities of the co- of the the butter that help. I think help stop the progression of Alzheimer's. Hmm. And so it's not like there aren't positive effects in certain cases, but not. I don't think I haven't found anything to say that there are positive effects for. Um, cognitively healthy people and so that's sort of like the inverse of fear-mongering where you have um you know it's like oh like uh you know there's uh there's trace amounts of copper that you're cooking with and you know copper can can poison you you don't want to cook with poison do you and this is sort of the opposite it's like oh in some cases this can stop a you know debilitating uh cognitive disease you you don't want to have a debilitating cognitive disease, do you? You know, I don't know. So put put butter in your coffee. Yeah, so it's, it's taking you know, a small instance of something happening and then just applying it across the board to everyone. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and not taking into account the quantities that matter and situations and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, I actually use this to justify uh, some first person shooters. I actually I'm not I'm not huge into first person shooter video games, but. Um, I did play one called Overwatch for a little while, mm-hmm. and my justification was that the um, the sort of extreme amount of visual processing and uh, hand to finger coordination, what have you, would would hold back early onset Alzheimer's, which I'm kind of scared of. Yeah, I but I I would be scared of it too. I don't think it actually helps with that though. So, oh. but it was it was a nice justification. Yeah, well, at least you enjoyed playing the game. I did until I didn't. It ended up making me pretty angry, so I had to stop. Oh, really? What was it? Uh, Oh, just, I don't know. People have bad attitudes. It just wasn't fun. It's sort of like playing basketball with, uh, you know, a bunch of poor sports and people who quit in the middle of the game and things like that. It's just not fun anymore at that point. So I I put it away. I'd say I put it away maybe 10 months ago. So are you a happier person for it? Yeah, uh, based on my research, I am. <laughs> Good. I Yeah, I don't really play any online games now that I think of it, besides, like, like I'll play, uh, there's a card game I play called Ascension, but it's just me and one or two other people I know playing the game. So other than that, that's, like, the extent of my online gaming. I mean, that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like the idea of it. And especially in competitive contexts, but it's, I don't know, the internet breeds poor sportsmanship, I feel. Yeah. And any game I do play, it's a game I would prefer. If I did play an online game, it's a game where I don't have to hear anyone else talk. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, that's that sounds nice. Yeah. Yeah, Dark Souls is like that and Bloodborne, those those games. I like that a lot. So I guess that's a online game that I still play which is quite enjoyable. Um, but yeah, no one can talk to me. There was so a it, uh, it was a game we worked on a while back. I think I might be misremembering what it was called. I think it was called The Resistance or something like that. But um and it was a um an MMO. And I I don't know if it was on purpose. I think it was just because they hadn't had time to develop the game enough, but there was no um like there was no chat support for other players. And a lot of people wrote in about how, like, or a lot of a lot of people who critiqued the game said how this was, a, like, a benefit of the game that you just didn't have to listen to other people talking. And That's it made, funny. It made the game more enjoyable because of it. 
Yeah, that that doesn't surprise me and also makes me sad. Yeah. Oh, so this Kefir, Kefir, uh, whatever whatever this is called, uh-huh. it reminds me of horchata, but it's really a bit, it's a little bit thicker and. I don't know. Horchata has kind of a weird taste to it that I can't quite describe right now, but it doesn't have that weird taste. It's just sort of like this thickish, strawberry, creamy drink that's supposed to be good for my stomach. So It sounds delicious. I love horchata. Yeah, horchata's pretty good. Uh, I, I do kind of feel a little sick after drinking it, like it was just too much. Yeah, horchata, yeah, it's a lot. I mean, it's a dessert. Yeah, definitely. Dessert beverage. Kind of like, uh, do you ever have chai iced tea? I have had chai iced tea. Oh, man. It's delicious, but also just too, too sweet. My go-to drink back in 2006, I believe, was a soy chai tea latte hot. Not iced. But I did get it iced, I think, a couple times. Yeah, this one, the the kind that I would get was at... um, like a Thai food place and it was like they they have like half of it was tea and half of it was cream almost and oh I know you're talking about yeah, yeah, yeah that's different yeah this is different yeah that is good though yeah and I feel like at the Thai food places they don't give you too much no it's a pretty small glass right because you're Which not is... supposed to drink that much right yeah um it's just it's just not what we were made to do no the body can't handle it that's right um all right so i see a link in here about how board games result in healthy marriages or something like that yeah a friend of mine shared this with me on i think it was on valentine's day actually and i thought it was quite interesting so this is a article from geek and sundry um they're pretty well known uh, as far as board games go and things of that nature but yeah it's a it's a short article but they're reference a Baylor study um, that's showing that uh, couples who play together release a love hormone uh, who play games together um, and it's the it's uh, oxytocin is is released is found to be released um, mostly when couples are playing board games and then also when they attend art class together um, so playing with your significant other can uh, they called it the uh, what did they? They call it the hugging hormone, which I found out to be funny. <laughs> the hormone hugs you. Yeah, <laughs> it just even the hormone loves you. Um, so playing with your significant other can can lead to a further sense of affection and closeness. Yeah, that's really cool. So I, I guess so. Oxytocin gets released when you hug people. Is that the idea? And then it I think also so. gets released when playing board games and going to art classes. Yeah. That's interesting. I like hugs. They're, yeah. they're quite nice. Yeah, hugs are great. Except for the ones that go just a little bit too long. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, yeah. You like, you, that's, that's about you, right, yeah. You start to let go, but they're still holding on tight and it just gets a little weird. Yeah, that's really weird when they don't let go and you're not, so that's that's okay when the hug is, you know, consoling someone who's grieving the loss of a loved one or something like that. But oh yeah, when when you're just saying hello, it can that can be a, that, can, that can be a little awkward. I mean, you just gotta let it go, I guess. But it can spoil the mood. <laughs> it can spoil the whole evening. 
That's right. Whew, no way to start dinner. <laughs> That's why I just go for the, the I just go for the hand handshake and the back pat. That's a safe it's, one to go for. It's pretty safe, yeah. And you, you you always have that arm in between you and the person in case they're trying <laughs> to hug too long and you need to kind of push back. <laughs> yeah, it's good to maintain a safe distance. You never know what could happen. So I have my own piece of chit chat here. Oh, um, do tell. Oh yes. Yeah. So I don't know. We talk about privacy occasionally. Uh, yeah, more about Facebook. So there's this Wall Street Journal article a week ago, maybe, and there are uh, a number of popular apps um, on the App Store for the iPhone that mm-hmm. send that that are just pushing user data to Facebook Analytics. And they're doing this because Facebook Analytics is really powerful and then they can they can learn a lot about their users. But I, I guess they're doing this without um, notifying the users or asking for permission. Oh, man. And uh, one, I'll just mention one of the apps. One of them is Flow Health, which is a, uh, I guess, a menstrual cycle tracking app. Okay. And so um, this app, so basically Facebook, if you use this app, then Facebook knows your uh, monthly cycle if you're a woman, which is just really invasive yeah. sounding to me. I, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't imagine that that's what people want to hear. So um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I don't know. This stuff is crazy and just, just like more and more um, weird privacy stuff coming out. Uh, I guess Facebook responded and said that they weren't aware of this and that it's against their, um, terms of use, but I, I don't know. I just, it's, I have a hard time trusting what Facebook has to say. Yeah, so, so do I. It seems like they tend to backtrack a lot on uh, things that they've claimed previously. Uh, so this is on, yeah, Wall, so there's Wall Street Journal, and then there's a Mac Rumors article that outlines it as well, um, which is free. So um, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, and let's see. So I guess listener feedback, we should move on to the next section here. Yeah. Well, I, so I did want to ask one thing. So for Facebook, are they? Do we know if they're storing that data, or how's that? Is it just something that like it goes through a process of theirs, and um, I don't know. Like, do we know what's happening with it once they get it? Uh, so I don't know. I I don't think the article spoke to whether or not Facebook is storing it, but I have no reason to think that they're not. Yeah, it seems I mean, like Facebook- they. They pretty much keep everything they get. Right. Facebook's entire business model is centered around the exploitation of user data in order to better serve ads, which is right. what they get paid to do. Right. So I would imagine that they absolutely keep that data. Yeah. That would um, make sense. Yeah, it would be odd. I mean, that's I, I take it that's the benefit that they receive in letting apps use their analytics is they get to keep the data and do with it what they what they will uh yeah okay that that makes sense to me uh, so, but it is it is very scary yes it is i have to say the infographics in the wall street journal article uh-huh. are just about the most useless graphics i've ever seen at first <laughs> i saw like they're really impressive looking and i thought oh this is gonna be really interesting uh you know see how this process works and basically it just says you put your information into the app and then Facebook has your information and they have like curly, curly braces with what is supposed to look like code in between there. 
that's meaningless. So, <laughs> so it's it's just a visual nothingness. Pretty much. I mean, they they do have a, a line in here about how Facebook can often match the data with actual Facebook users, um, but they don't talk about how that works or anything to that effect. Got it. Yeah. Well, as, as someone who I know you do a, a bit of um, graphics yourself or or uh, charts and things like that, so you probably have a pretty good sense of what's useful and what. Isn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I draw boxes and arrows with PowerPoint. If that if that's what you mean. Um, but no, yeah, okay. So, but yeah, I do. I do a fair bit of uh, graphically representing uh, the way data is handled. So yeah, I do do that. That makes sense. But I, I don't do my graphics are not anything like what is here in the Wall Street Journal, which looks very impressive. Uh, mine are just arrows with primary colors. Well, yours, boxes. you're kind of the you're on the side of um, accurately representing the data, and they're on the side of just making something look pretty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that seems right. But, so, well, let's go on to some listener feedback then. All right. So I got another email from Ryan, our buddy. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. So he's following up on, uh, on his last message that we talked about last time. And let me just read it for you. Okay. So he said, hey, guys, I'm glad you talked about my email in your last podcast. Uh, and you want to respond to that. Uh, as far as the question of how he would wed philosophy and theology, which we addressed last time. So his first thought would be for us to define philosophy. He says, I would define it simple as thinking deeply and carefully about things. If this is the case by wed, I meant the fact that we would need to think deeply and carefully about biblical theology when it comes to evil. We just can't leave thinking about evil as an unattached category by itself. To answer those sorts of questions about evil, philosophy needs to be wed to theology, thinking deeply and carefully about biblical matters. Uh, so that's the first part of his message. What do you okay. think about that? So I, I like that. I think I would change uh, thinking and his definition to something like the pursuit of knowledge or understanding, um, or maybe like the the pursuit of general knowledge and understanding. So, something to that effect is what I would maybe define philosophy as. Thinking deeply and carefully about things is good too, but I... So actually, I've had an interesting discussion with a colleague about this, uh, about what constitutes sort of philosophical thought. And uh, he argued that philosophical thought, you were... Engaging in philosophy and engaging in philosophical thought when you were uh, working with and, I guess, providing or responding to arguments, um, mm. which, which, you know, I, that, you know, that, that seems, you know, decent, uh, but that means that, you know, a uh, congressional hearing might then be philosophy. Yeah. And uh, maybe, and maybe that's okay. Uh, but one thing, it definitely... Uh, leaves out, I, I think, is something that I like to call a work nap, which is where you have a really hard problem, and it's just conceptually brutal, and you you can't just seem to wrap your mind around it. So you you start to think about it, and you lay down. Um, this is assuming you work someplace where you <laughs> where can, you can, yeah, where you're allowed to lay down. But uh, thankfully, I do. Uh, and you lay down, and you you think really hard about the problem. As you approach 
sleep and you get right on the border of sleep as you sort of hold the problem in your mind and uh and then when you wake up you have insights uh that's a work nap and i find it very effective really and i don't think i'm working with arguments when i do that uh, another example would be you know getting stuck on a problem and you know stepping out into the hot you know 102 degree sun beating down on you as you take a sledgehammer and you hit a tire a giant tractor tire over and over again you know and like wipe your forehead with your bandana and like the sun and lens flare and all these kind of things and then you have a flash of insight i think that could also be doing philosophy so i have a pretty liberal notion of doing philosophy as long as it's general enough i do think we lose philosophy if we are thinking uh, too specifically about something. So I don't know that if you were to give me a detailed explanation of maybe a best practice in motion capture, I'm not sure if that would be doing philosophy, but we'd have to look at it. So I don't know, it's a bit fuzzy. And uh, I think what Ryan has provided is a great, a great definition. And I, I agree. I think biblical, biblical theology, I, I think we should be doing philosophy when we try and take the fruits of biblical theology in order to answer questions about the existence of evil. So I have to say, I, I really like your examples of philosophy and the, <laughs> yeah. they, they involve both napping at work and going out into the hot sun and just beating on a tire. Oh, I might add, when you're beating on the tire, you're imagining that you are Bruce Wayne and you're training to fight bad guys. Of course. That's that's part of it. Yeah. Of course. Though being Batman would be really depressing and I don't know that I yeah, it'd be really hard to go out every night and beat criminals within an inch of their lives. I just it'd be hard. I don't know. I just can't do it. And and growing up without parents too. Oh, well. Yeah, yeah. That's hard too. That's yeah, I don't know, Aaron. You just you just ruined it. You just brought it too close to home, like <laughs> Too many people grow up without parents. You're you're right. And that's pretty rough. And not as many people beat criminals within an inch of their life. No, it's more rare. It's it yeah. is. It is. But yeah. you're right. It's as much as like kids think that it's awesome to be Batman, it really probably wouldn't be all that awesome. No, no. His life sucks. Yeah. Absolutely. It, yeah. So uh, and I do want to say, uh, if if you're getting into work naps don't do that while operating a forklift. Just a public service announcement. Oh, there. no, that yeah, good pro tip, bad idea. Same with the the thingies that go upper um that you you step into and then they Oh, like they the cherry pickers. Straight up. That's what they're called. Yeah. Yes. The thingies uh, that go upper. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I do the best I can. Yeah, you did. yeah, that worked. That worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um All right, so Oh yeah, so you said, he you said that was this, the second part of his message. Uh, Let me read that. My second thought would be in addition to the summary of your summary of my last email. Though those points that were brought up about Job were great, my main thought was this. If we can't logically show, as per your original podcast where my first email stemmed from, that God does not have a good reason to allow evil to occur, then the category of gratuitous evil seems to dissolve. This category, I would argue then, doesn't truly exist. It would appear to exist due to our lack of understanding God's ways. If God can logically have a reason to allow one specific act of evil, to me it would follow that God could logically have reasons to allow all evil then. I mean, we are speaking of God here. If you can accept just one, I find it very easy to logically accept them all. 
than once biblical theology is brought in, such as the throne room scene in Job and many more, you can show that this also is biblically accurate. So I think I disagree with Ryan here. So if we can't logically show that God does not have a good reason to allow evil to occur, I don't think that it follows that gratuitous evil as a problem dissolves. Um, that I think is a bit strong. I, I do think that we can perhaps be um, warranted in believing that there is no gratuitous evil. Um, that might be right, but that's really different than thinking that the problem just dissolves. Like there's still a problem, there's still a tension between the existence of God and the evil that we see because there's still this uh, really strong intuition that a lot of the evil that we see just isn't necessary. And that's that's just what it is to be gratuitous. Now, we we don't we don't take that intuition and let that define our worldview. <clears throat> Uh, you know, because we have reasons to doubt it, or we have conflicting intuitions that we hold more strongly, um, things of that sort. But because the tension remains, I wouldn't, I would not use the word dissolves here. Uh, secondly, there are some Christians, really smart Christians who think that God allows gratuitous evil and that's okay. And they, it's a little bit of reworking of the term gratuitous, or the meaning of the term gratuitous, but it's something like this. You might think that, um, among the things that's really valuable is the moral formation of creatures. And in order for creatures to be morally formed, there have to be bona fide consequences um, to our actions. And so uh, for there for there to be bona fide consequences to our actions, then we have to have the opportunity to freely commit uh, wrongful actions hmm. or, or actions with bad consequences or however you want to uh, frame that. And if that's right, then you're going to have uh, perhaps in in the actual, you know, creation, you're going to have individuals who come to these crossroads where they can freely, you know, take the, the path of the good or the path of the bad, and then they freely take the path of the bad. And God allows this because it's it's necessary for these to be legitimately free actions for the sake of moral formation, not only of that actor, but of others as well. And so we have these bad actors that affect our moral formation. And this is a really, really good thing and part of uh, many of the best worlds. Uh, but you're going to have a world really similar to that uh, where that person decided to take the, the good path instead and is a good actor. And, you know, this is going to illustrate that the, the bad that they produced in actual creation uh, wasn't uh, wasn't required and and is in some sense gratuitous, though God allowed the op- the opportunity for it. And so, um, you know, you may end up needing gratuitous evil to come back into the picture to solve other problems. I'm not saying that's actually the case, but there are people who um, who speak this way and have have argued such things. So, uh, I don't know. Those are just my thoughts off the top of my head. Hmm. So, does that idea of um, beings that can, um, I guess, be morally developed, is that tied to free will or the idea of free will pretty closely? It is. It is. Um, so, and, and a, a specific, what I take to be really the, the true meaning of free will, uh, which is this ability to do otherwise. And so you have to have this ability to, ability to do otherwise, which which basically just means that there's nothing 
prior to your deciding to do, perform some action that, uh, that, that fixes that you will perform that action. Um, I have to be, it's, it's really tricky because it's, this isn't about the truth values of assertions necessarily or propositions or sentences. And, and, but sometimes it gets construed that way. I don't know. This is, this is going to get really messy really quickly. Uh, but yeah, I can imagine. All, all that to say, yeah, it's, it's closely tied to this, what I think of as like genuine freedom, which is, you know, there are times in my life where I am to within a certain scope unrestrained in what I can do and I can go left or I can go right. And if I go left, I know I'm, I'm choosing the bad. And if I go right, I know I'm choosing the good and it's up to me. Mm-hmm. And these situations will be part of moral formation Got because it. of the effect they have on us. And so, um, of course, if I choose the bad, then, you know, I didn't have to choose the bad. So that badness is gratuitous because it didn't have to be an actual creation. It's extra. And the badness itself doesn't contribute anything to the good that we have in creation. Um, what contributes to the good is that opportunity for the bad. But, you know, you can't have the opportunity without, you know, the opportunity. So, yeah, there's uh, also the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I probably said all of that entirely wrong, but I, yeah, I, ho- I hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, I think I understand what you're talking about and, and where people are coming from when they're making that argument. Now, there's, there's also people that would come down on the side that we don't really have free will, um, or it's a limited, I guess, free will in a limited sense too. But I don't, I probably don't understand their side as well. Oh boy, yeah. So man, this is just gonna be a. But we a, we don't uh, have to go into that now. But I, uh, I'm just pointing that out. Well, I mean, it would be hard to not say something. Um, okay. So yeah, I'll just try and be brief, and then I am sure we will talk about this next episode. Uh, so, okay. Yeah. So there are people who will say that we don't have free will and Christians, Christian people, right? That's who you're talking about. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. Okay. So this, this seems really problematic and let me tell you why. Um, crucial to the gospel, which is, you know, the good news of salvation that you've mm-hmm. passed out of judgment is that you had a legitimate fear of judgment uh, prior to to receiving the gospel message. And, and maybe you don't have the legitimate fear, but a legitimate fear of judgment is justified. So if you did have it, you would be justified in, in fearing final judgment because you are in sin, right? So, mm-hmm. okay, so that's, that's crucial. You can't have the gospel without that. And so you have the, you know, the fall, Adam and Eve, uh, and then you have sin cascading through human history, and then you get to us, and we have this need for the gospel. Yeah, and, there's, um, there's a recognition of wrong, wrongdoing required. Well, yeah, to to accept the gospel, right? Yeah, um, but even prior to that, there's there would be if you're if you are fearing final judgment, then you're justified uh, because that's in your future mm-hmm. uh, until yeah until this like repent recognition and repentance yada yada yada. Um, all right, so it it strikes me as really wrong to think that I fear final judgment, and yet I am not free in regards to any of my actions. Now, Christians do try and pitch this, but it seems uh, like a really hard pill to swallow to think that um, I, I am responsible for my wrongful actions towards God, and yet 
uh, those wrongful actions were not performed freely. Uh, it seems like there's a, a serious tension there. Like some tension, you know, is acceptable. And we can kind of think, okay, well, these seem contradictory, but I'm sure there's a way to resolve them. So I'm just going to assume there's a way to resolve them, even though I still feel like this is a legitimate contradiction. In this case, this just seems like a legitimate contradiction. If, if I'm not free in regards to my actions, then it's hard to understand how I could be punished in regards to my actions. And that's, I, that's the problem. Um, yeah, smart people have things they say about this. I don't find what they have to say very convincing. Uh, and so I, I'm in the camp that we have a legitimate freedom that allows, that, that's closely tied to our um, aptness to be punished. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you there. It would, it seems like a lot of... Um theology and and what we understand about god and sin and redemption uh it for me it starts to fall apart if there's no true human free will right Um, yeah and i one final thing i think the majority or i think the those who would say we don't have free will is a pretty small uh group um and so what you have as a larger group though are people who define free will in a way that doesn't sound like free will and i think that's a problem also Mm. but we'll we'll leave you know the furthering of this discussion for another time yeah Yeah, it does seem like there's varying degrees of uh, a concept of free will and what that entails hey did you read this part of ryan's email where he said keep up the good work no i didn't i was leaving it for you (laughs) oh i like it hey well thanks ryan you keep up the good work too i like your questions yeah me too all right well I think that's it for listener feedback here. So let's get on to topics. Topics. Woo woo. I noticed you haven't rung the bell yet. So I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but just pointing that out. Ah, there it is. I just wanted to interject. You are correct. I had not (laughs) rung the bell yet. (laughs) Well, I'm, uh, thank you for interjecting with the bell about the bell. I was actually, so I was focused so much on making sure I actually had a beverage to consume during the show <laughs> that I forgot to set up my bell. It was it was behind. Uh, so I have some pictures on my desk, and it was behind one of the pictures. That's I funny. keep it out of reach because otherwise, Gloria, it drives her mad if I just sit there ringing my bell. Oh man, you you don't day. want to abuse the bell. No, you don't. That's no good. No good at all. No good. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about animals both mythical animals and animals that seem to have mythical properties. All right. So can we, can we pause? And maybe you're going to do this. Ah, I'm, I'm so rude, but (laughs) I, I was going to ask for definitions, but I'm assuming that's what's coming next of mythical and property. No, I have (laughs) no definitions whatsoever. Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) Well, I, you're you're the definitions (laughs) man here. I, I just throw words out and, Hopefully, people understand what I'm saying. Ah, but this is your topic. <laughs> it is. That All right, I would. Rejo- <laughs> doesn't mean I'm. Uh, I've researched it thoroughly, or I've, uh, I don't know, pre- prepared to the fullest extent that I could. All right. Well, let, let me just. Okay. So, well, why why the word mythical? So, yeah, mythical. I would say is something that exists outside of reality. Oh, okay. Um, usually, story something that's based in a story. What does it mean for something to exist? outside of reality i'm just kidding i'll leave that alone i'm just okay kidding. okay <laughs> i mean we could we could just go on and on with this i'm sure 
on and on and on. No, okay, sorry, I I derailed us. Uh, all right, you're, so you're too used to all the uh, to lectures and stuff, and and uh, people interrupting and asking all kinds of crazy questions and leading you down rabbit trails. And... Objection! Asked and answered. <laughs> Withheld. <laughs> uh, so okay, so let's just let's just retract everything I said. Uh, okay. So, so Aaron, I hear, so today you're going to talk to us a little bit about animals, specifically mythical animals with mythical properties. Uh, I'm really excited about this. What, what do you, what do you have to say? All right. Well, first I wanted to talk about a real animal that I think is uh, starting to come into the limelight here. And that is the tardigrade. Have you heard of this animal before? I may have. Do they? They're also known as water Oh, bears. yeah. Or, yeah, I know about tardigrades. Yeah, so water bears, or I just found this out, they're also called moss piglets, which I think right. is great. So you do know about them. I do. Yeah, so let me let me drop a little bit of info about the tardigrade. So they're microscopic creatures. Uh, they look pretty interesting. They kind of look like uh, like bears with a bunch of legs in a spacesuit. That's, that's kind of my best description here. Ooh. Um, and they're found everywhere from mountaintops to the deep sea and mud volcanoes from tropical rainforest to the Antarctic. And they are incredibly survivable. So um, they can withstand environments as cold as negative 328 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 200 Celsius, negative 200 Celsius, or as high as 300 degrees, uh, which is 148.9 degrees Celsius or at 300 degrees Fahrenheit or 148.9 Celsius. Um, so they can take very, very cold and very, very hot temperatures. They can survive high levels of radiation, and they can survive in the vacuum of outer space. That is fascinating. Yeah. So they they go into, in order to do this, they go into a almost death-like, death-like state called cryptobiosis, um, and they kind of curl up into a little hydrated or dehydrated ball called a ton. And uh, they, they retract into their body. And they can, they've been found to be able to stay in this state for 30 years. And then once w- water reaches them, they pretty much regenerate or they come back to life. Uh, though they only, uh, just in, in their normal life, they only live for about two and a half years on their own. Yeah. So, so these things are amazing. Yeah. They're crazy. They're, they're kind of like, you know how the, the cockroach is sort of seen as the creature that will outlast everything? Well, now I think it's the tardigrade. I think they've taken their place. So interestingly, there's debate about whether tardigrades actually survive uh, cryptobiosis. Oh, I thought you were going to say whether they actually exist. Uh, no, yeah. <laughs> I mean, w- they definitely exist. Now, whether they exist in reality or not, that's... That's another question. Right. Okay. So, so are, are you saying maybe they perish and then something else comes back to life? Well, it would maybe be better put that they perish and something else comes into existence. Because hmm. there's yeah. nothing, if it perishes, then there's nothing coming back to life. Right, right. I didn't phrase that very well. Um, so, all right. So there's this guy, Peter Vandenwagen, who wrote in the early 90s about uh, organisms. We'll just leave it at that. 
And he's he said things like, okay, so organisms are uh, these things that uh, exist when you have a bunch of particles that are caught up in a life. And there's this caught up in a life language, which is a bunch of particles being um, wrapped up in this jealous process that integrates other particles and, you know, self repairs and grows and does all the things that organisms do. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the way one of these, you know, swarms of simples that are caught up in life persists through time is through um, the, the swarm uh, imminently causing its continuation from time to time. Uh, and, it's, I don't know, it's really interesting. A lot, of, a lot of interesting stuff to say. Well, one of the sort of problem cases he thought about was, well, what happens if you freeze a cat? Because if you freeze a cat, it seems like the cat no longer, there's no longer this swarm that's caught up in life. Um, but then when you unfreeze the cat, you know, the cat goes bounding away uh, as if nothing happened, Right. Um, so he's not talking about literally freezing the cat, like okay. in a refrigerator. We, we, we can't act. This is a theoretical thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. yeah, poor choice of words. So, yeah, he's not talking about putting cats in freezers. Um, don't call animal services or anything. <laughs> uh, what he's talking about is if, you know, imagine we could just freeze a cat, um, fr- freeze everything, all, all of the motion in a cat. Okay, so and it's not it's not a temperature thing. It's a, no. this thing well, has ceased to function or move for a period of time. Yeah, I mean, technically, it would still be a temperature thing, but okay. but yeah, you're right. Um, it you you freeze the the motion of all of the particles involved in the cat. Yeah, um, they're in stasis of some sort of philosophical stasis, and everything else in the world goes about its business, and then you unfreeze the cat, and it comes back, and the cat comes back, but it doesn't does, seem does it like... come back the very next day? <laughs> yeah, couldn't be another. Uh, <laughs> that cat just wouldn't stay away. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, it comes back and then goes about you know the world goes about uh, goes about its business. We unfreeze the cat, and then the cat continues on. And there's this question: Well, is that the same cat as the original cat? Because you don't have this swarm of simples uh, in the that that are all wrapped up in this life that are you know in this organism that's imminently causing its continuation through time. Uh, all of that seems to be absent, and yet it seems like the same cat at the beginning and the end. Uh, well. Interestingly, um, this discussion of philosophically frozen cats uh, lends itself to discussions about tardigrades because it seems like there's something very similar going on here. Yeah. When tardigrades, you know, go into cryptobiosis, and there are other cryptobiotic organisms as well besides tardigrades. I just yeah, there's I know there's some frogs that can do that too. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so, anyways, that's I don't know much more about tardigrades than they are sometimes talked about in. You know, and, and the same discussions where philosophically frozen cats are spoken of. But uh, yeah, that's that's all I had to say. Hmm. And then if you think about, or it makes me think about what if uh, a human was frozen and able to come back, which we don't have any kind of process by which to do that currently, though there's, um, I'm sure there's been a lot of research into it. But as, as far as I know, there's no way to uh, to freeze a human and restore them. The but restoring we, is the tricky part. Yes. Yeah. Very easy to freeze a human. Uh, not so easy to bring them back after that. But then the question would be, is that going to be the same? Would it be the same person when they came back? Yeah. I mean, these are, 
difficult and terrifying questions. I think Walt Disney's brain is frozen. I think there are other people as well um, who froze their brain in the hopes that in the distant future it would be restored. Um, something else that's interesting is in medicine. Um, I think this was most recently maybe at Penn. I, I can't remember. Somewhere in um, Pennsylvania, uh, they they were doing these doing this work where they would uh, deep freeze. Oh, so basically, they would I think they would remove your blood and replace it with super cooled liquid. Whoa! And use that to lower your core temperature super low in order to preserve your body long enough to apply a life-saving treatment. And so, Dude, yeah. This, has this worked? Yeah, it works. Whoa. So um, then, I mean, like, after they've applied the treatment, do they then put your blood back in? Oh, yeah. Wow. And they warm you back up. Wow. Um, it's, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, I, I'm cool. I'm sp- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm spacing on the details, but that's basically what they do i think there's a house md episode where they do something similar also but i can't remember uh and i think well actually i don't know I, i'm not gonna say anything more because i can't remember the details but yeah uh they've been they've been doing this i mean so say you need a, a transplant you've you've been in a car accident you need a transplant uh well if this works they can cool your body and you know keep you alive longer you know, to get the transplant from, you know, the other side of the country or Man. from Alaska or what have you. That's amazing. Yeah, it really is. I imagine this is a, a fairly expensive process and not something they can just do whenever they want. Yeah, I would think so. I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I would be surprised if it wasn't. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So I just had a few random thoughts that came to mind about mythical animals. So let me fire them at you and see what you think. All right, I'm ready. First of all, is a mermaid a fish or a mammal? It's a mammal. How do you know that? It's warm-blooded. Maybe it just has human skin, but it's really cold-blooded. Oh, well... Mer- I mean, how do you I, know it's warm-blooded? Oh, I, I mean, I've studied mermaids. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. I just For years. They were, huh? Yeah, I just assumed they were warm-blooded. But think, maybe I'm wrong. I think that's a, I don't think that's a, a safe assumption to make. Well, wait a minute. And the Little Mermaid at the end. So spoilers for those of you who haven't watched The Little Mermaid. I'm gonna spoil it for you. This is the Disney version, not the cruel Brothers Grimm version. Uh, Ariel gets legs. Her tail gets turned into legs. There was no talk about some sort of change to her underlying uh, biology. Well, maybe that's just outside the scope of the movie. Maybe. And we we have magic going on here, so it's hard to tell exactly what happened there. I think it's pretty clear. I mean, the swirly stuff turned her tail into some legs. So is the fish part of her warm-blooded as well, then? Ah, you're trying to trick me. There <laughs> is no fish part of her. There's a fish-resembling part of her. Ah, okay, so she's just a human that has... A, a tail that's covered in scales. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I, I don't know ex- if you'd call her a human. But no, no, but she's she's a mammal. We'll say that. She's a yeah, mammal right. with a scaled tail. She is a pseudo-primate-like mammal. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can accept that. And she becomes a human or something close to a human. Right. Hmm. 
All right. So, so here's my here's my other thing that I wanted to say is that I'm I'm very offended by the creature that is both unicorn and Pegasus. I think I think it's just too much for one mythical creature. What do you think? Well, first question is is there is Pegasus a type of creature or is Pegasus like a specific individual mythical creature? Like it's I thought type. Pegasus was a name. Oh. Is that I'm probably wrong. I, no, I'm pretty sure it's a type. So any, oh, okay. a winged horse is a Pegasus. Oh, interesting. I thought Pegasus was the name of some specific winged horse. Oh, maybe you're right, and I and I didn't know this. But I don't know, I, yeah. I, I had always assumed, much like unicorn, it was a species. Okay, well, let's just assume that. Okay. So what's, what is the question? So, it's more just a point that, that, that people that just go willy-nilly with their, you know, Lisa Frank and all her, her rainbowed artwork... Uh, it's just too much to give a horse both a horn and wings. It's it's like it's like when they just keep adding powers to Superman just oh. because they feel like it. It's a gratuitous assignment of it mythical is. properties to it a is. mythical creature. Yeah, I I think you know pick one or the other. Like you, it's it's just like the uh, fairy princess ballerina. It's like you know just you just go with one here maybe. Oh two. okay yeah. No, I see your point there. I, I wasn't tracking until you brought in the fairy princess ballerina, but yeah, I think I get it. Okay, good, good. I'm, I'm glad you're tracking with me. Yeah. Now, now this last one, my brother-in-law pointed this out to me, and I don't know if he got it from someone else, but so a centaur is part human, part horse, right? Right. Okay, so it has the horse body, um, but without the head, and the head is uh, the upper half of a human. But human, human. I'm trying to picture this. What would a baby centaur look like? Because baby horses are able to walk pretty quickly after birth, but baby humans can't really hold themselves up for a good long while. So you'd have a horse body walking around with just this little baby body flopping around. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, well, so this could be like the mermaid where it's not really... A human half it's a human resembling half uh so there could be you know something very differently going on anatomically there uh or i mean i don't know uh yeah i don't know what to say other than my preferred image is that of you know the lower half being a horse and the upper half being something like a really cute baby sitting in a high chair with its hands kind of clapping as it gets ready to smear uh marinara sauce all over its face <laughs> I, I like the idea and actually uh, it wouldn't need the high chair anymore so it's it can kind of just go around to trees and make messes and and go up to people and pull on their hair and things like that so uh, I, I do like that image of the mischievous centaur baby i'm surprised i haven't ever seen something like this in popular media yeah this is a really hilarious image. It is. I think we've. Uh, I think we found something here. Yeah, I think so. Um, man, we can take this to a dark place too. What's the What's the lifespan of a horse? Not that long, right? No, not well. Not as long as a human. They They live decently long. Um, so, depending on the lifespan of a horse, what happens when the horse part dies? Mm-hmm. And the horse and the and the human part is. Uh, only like 25 to 30 years old. So I just looked it up. Horse, horses live 25 to 30 years. 
Um, Maybe it's kind of a split the difference thing. So it, it gets a, a bit of an extended horse life, but less of a human life. So kind of halfway between. Okay. Well, yeah. It would be really depressing to be a sin. How do you pronounce it? Centaur? Yeah. I always want to say Centaur. I don't <laughs> know why. Um, like Pat I, Benatar. I, I love all the words that... This happens a lot with fantasy, I've noticed. Words that you read long before you ever hear it pronounced. Yeah. Uh, uh, like uh, someone was playing a, a game and they were talking about their level 12 Paladin. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Like, What's your Paladin? What's a Paladin? <laughs> like, oh, Paladin, that's what you're saying. Yeah, I did that with Chimera. I How, How'd you say it? Uh, Chimera. <laughs> That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how how old I was when I first heard the word chimera spoken aloud. I mean, but I read about it, I don't know, for a long time. I, I remember a point where I was asking my parents about the word portcullis, and I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but, uh, and they were like, that's not a real word. And I said, no, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's a thing. <laughs> And they just would not be convinced. That's funny. Yeah. They thought I'd made it up. I think I pronounced that portcullis. Oh, really? But that may not even be phonetically, that may not even make phonetic sense. Uh, who knows? You might be right. I don't know if I've ever heard it said. Really? Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a movie where they say portcullis or portcullis or whatever. Maybe Army of Darkness? That would make sense. Yeah. Or some other movie with a castle. I have to watch it as research. Indeed. Gloria has never seen Army of Darkness. Oh, man. I actually, I haven't seen it. I've only seen... Wait, what? Well, I've, I've seen the first one, but that one's not, oh. from what I hear, not as good as the... Well, for, is the first one called Army of Darkness? Are you talking about Evil Dead? Yeah, Evil Dead. Sorry. Okay, the yeah. The sequel so, is Army of Darkness. It's right? actually the third is okay. Army of Darkness. All right. Well, I've only yeah. seen the first. I mean, really, unless you're into, you know... Uh, B movie gore horror. Uh, then the Evil Dead, Evil Dead one and two, really aren't worth watching, and don't yeah. are not in any way required. No, for that's, Army of Darkness. That's been my experience. Yeah. So wait, so you haven't seen Army of Darkness? You've no, only seen Evil Dead. I, oh man. Right. Yeah, Army of Darkness is completely different. So I saw Army of Darkness when I was like ten, I think, and didn't see Evil Dead. I don't know till I was. 17 or something like that um just because there was no no reason to yeah i didn't i don't even think i realized they were related but um i think i saw it with knowing that everyone really likes army of darkness and then i was very disappointed yeah it's so it's it's an so yeah evil dead one and two are cool from the standpoint of like i don't know horror cinema film school stuff maybe i don't i mean and i can't even really say that that's actually true but i don't know something like that but yeah army of darkness is just super fun and just it's a it's a fun like casual silly movie that has some horror tropes in it but it is is really in no way a horror movie and apparently it has port coleuses it does um yeah so you don't even do you even know what it's about not uh kind of, i think i've read the synopsis at some point ah oh, okay spoilers man i know i know that's okay. I mean, I guess if you watched Evil Dead, then you probably didn't have any intention of watching it, so then I can understand that. I do that sometimes. Um, but yeah, horror movies, yeah, they're not really my thing. I I like 
a handful, but yeah, I don't know. They freak me out. Like I enjoy when I'm watching, but then afterwards I just, I close my eyes and I can see what I saw when I was watching the movie uh, and, and worse. And I don't like that. So yeah. I, yeah. 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 I tend to avoid them as well, except for uh, may, maybe the occasional uh, suspense horror movie that kind of borders the edge of horror. Yeah. That's great. I, I like those, but yeah, not, but not the ones with any kind of over the top visuals. Yeah. Like saw no way. No, I haven't seen. Oh, uh, I saw the first one. Oh. Actually, I think I saw the second one too, and I wish I hadn't. I've I've seen a few scenes, and that was enough for me. Yeah, no, it was awful. I wish I hadn't seen the second one. It, yeah, it was really bad. So, um, well, on that lovely note, I know, right? My, I'll say this one more thing: is I think it was the movie Hostel um, that my wife saw, or maybe she just saw part of it, and she, she are, I think she already has this fear of her Achilles tendons being cut. And that's what happened in the movie. And she said it was like the most terrifying thing ever. Yeah, I have no desire to see Hostel. <laughs> um, or what is it? The Hills Have Eyes? Yeah. Those, are, those movies? Yeah, no. Those are freaky. No good. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, it was. Uh, this was great. It was a, a pleasure <laughs> Pleasure chatting. Always uplifting and encouraging. Oh, yes. We we aim to to, to be that those those things that you we, said. We set the bar very high. We do. We do. Um, well, Aaron, uh, always a pleasure. Yes, Gordon. It's been great talking with you. Take care. Okay. You too. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show. We'd really appreciate if you left us a rating or review on iTunes. As always, you can send us feedback or questions through the contact form on my website, creativeandbeyond.com. And while you're there, check out my free email course, Done, which will help you finish your creative projects in a timely manner. Ta-ta for now.